When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And Ben two times bowling. Two times, that's right. Uh, second take bowling. Yep, that's, second take. That's what they call you right here. That's my street name at How Stuff Works. <laughs> that's not so bad. Anyways, all right. So today, Ben, we are going to talk about a uh, couple of brothers that uh, made a big impact on the automotive industry, bigger than most people would think, really. There's a lot more to the story than a lot of people know. Absolutely. We're talking about the Dodge Brothers. And Scott, just one note before we dive into this. Uh, I know that you and I both really enjoy these history podcasts. And and listeners, uh, you guys probably enjoy those too. I mean, at least based on the emails that we get, uh, no one has written in saying, I hate you know, the Honda story or something. Uh, so we just want to let you know that if you enjoy this podcast that we're about to do, we also have a wealth of other origin stories of the titans of the auto industry. Exactly right. And what I like about these the most, Ben, I think, is is some of the side notes that we get into. Because as we discuss, you know, the, the story, because you can you can summarize anything in a paragraph or two. Yeah, sure. And that's pretty easy. In fact, the articles that we have in front of us right now, the research material, uh, that, that's what they are. There's just a couple of pages here. But what happened is along the way, as we made notes, uh, we kind of go off on a tangent on something like we yeah. say a name or a phrase or a, a company or whatever. We dig in a little deeper into that and then it becomes an interesting side note. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the story becomes very, very large, very yeah. full, very lush story as we go through this whole thing. So hopefully you find that entertaining as well. I know that, you know, when we talk about Henry Ford and we talk about, um, uh, we've talked about Packard. We've talked about mm-hmm. all kinds of different uh, brands. And uh, the Dodge Brothers are no different. Right. Absolutely. Uh, let's go ahead and introduce our main players here. That would be John Francis Dodge. He's the elder brother, born in 1864. And Horace Elgin Dodge, uh, the younger brother, 1868. And I'm going to be honest with you, Scott. I think John Francis got the better pick of names. Horace Elgin is a lot to walk around with. Horace is uh, is quite a name, isn't it? But I guess, uh, you know, we're talking like late 1800s. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it was more common than we think. Yeah, maybe it was. They um, they were the children of a machinist named Daniel Rugg and uh, his wife, Maria Costo Dodge of Niles, Michigan. That's right, Ben. But if I may... 
I want to take it back even one generation farther, just so we get a, uh, a kind of a baseline of where their mechanical interests may have come from. Oh, yeah, that's Cause I, great. Cause yeah. I think that's important to know that, you know, these guys had their their own characters, I guess, and that's how they worked well. They were they were a great team as they worked together. One was a, a businessman, a, a financier, as they would call it. Right. And uh, the other one was a very talented machinist, and we'll tell you which is which in just a minute. But, um, you know, he was very mechanical. And the two of them together, I guess, they wouldn't make any decisions without the other one knowing. So, you know, as they paired together to form this new company, um, it made sense that, you know, they would always be together. They would always make decisions together because one didn't really know the other side of the business like the other one did, mm-hmm. and they trusted each other, and, and that really worked for them. It's a, it's a great story of teamwork, entrepreneurship, yeah. um, just, just uh, you know, a great American story, I guess. You know what? I don't think it's stepping too, too far to say that because they were a great collective unit. Uh, they fought all the time, which we will talk about, uh, <laughs> but not just with each other. Well, it's as brothers would, right? And, right, yeah. And, and with other people, too. I mean, there's yeah. a huge dispute with uh, with some of the titans of the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get into all this, I promise. But, uh, but it should be an inspirational story for entrepreneurs mm-hmm. all over the world, really. I mean, the way that they work together, great example of teamwork, as we said. Um, and it's a story that doesn't really start with wealth. But it definitely ends there, that's for sure. Right. Um, and still, I mean, this this is a company that's, what, uh, more than 100 years old at this point, right? Yep. I haven't really done the math, I guess. But we're going to find out how these guys turned $10,000, a $10,000 investment into, you know, $200 plus million mm-hmm. in a very short period of time. Okay. And, Scott, that's my bad. I derailed us just a bit. Uh, we're going a little bit before the beginning, right? Before the Dodge kids. Actually, yeah, we have to, I think, only because it it helps lay the groundwork for this whole story. So, you know, their grandfather, uh, his name was Ezekiel Dodge. And we're talking about like in the 1850s. So, you know, prior to them being born, you know, 20 years before they're born even, um, he ran a successful machine shop on the banks of the St. Joseph River in Niles, Michigan. So that's in southwest Michigan, kind of uh, near the South Bend, Indiana area, you know, right on the border there. Um, and his, not his idea, but his, uh, his main focus, I guess, was to fix the, the steam engines that were on some of the, uh, the boats that the local fishermen had. Oh, that's so cool. That was kind of his main thing was, uh, it was more like marine engines, right? Steam engines, uh, in a marine application. And Ezekiel and his wife, um, her name was Anna. So that's their grandfather and grandmother. Uh-huh. Um, they had 13 kids, Ben. Whew. 13 kids. Now, maybe not all that common now. Sort of common back then, I guess. You know, have the big farm family. Right, know, yeah, absolutely. Term, right? Yeah. They had two daughters and 11 sons, including Daniel Rugg Dodge. Now, that is the father of John and Horace. So I thought right. it was important to lay the groundwork that the mechanical background kind of comes from there. And, mm-hmm. of course, Daniel, uh, you know, he was also taught to be a machinist in Ezekiel's shop, and that's how he passed it on to his son and then so on and so on. Yeah, and they uh, specialize in machines for marine use, as you said, that doesn't end with Ezekiel. Uh, so the family is uh, pretty, pretty close knit. The brothers especially are inseparable. They built the first bicycle in their town, which is a cool story. Yeah, yeah that's pretty neat. <laughs> and uh, they moved uh, eventually to Ontario, where they got jobs as machinists working for a place called the Canadian Typograph Company. Yeah. Now, I have to tell you something about this uh, this bicycle. All right. All right. This is kind of interesting because um, 
remember we mentioned that one was a gifted machinist and and more mechanical than the other one. Well, well, I guess um, that's Horace. Yeah, Horace was was more um, skilled, I guess, in the technical aspect mm-hmm. of the whole thing, and and John was more of the businessman. All right, so Horace designed a dirt-proof ball bearing right there on his homework bench. You know, just kind of working on his own. Decided that you know he's going to work on the the design of a ball bearing. Make it to the point where it's dirt proof, which was something I guess prior to this there was no shielding on belt ball bearings and they got gummed up and fouled and everything. So he designed this uh, this fantastic thing in 1887 that um, you know they got patents on it, everything else, and they designed a bicycle around the ball bearing. Believe it or not, to uh, to work. Yeah, it was smart. I guess you're right. It's something simple to build, right? That that requires ball bearings, and they uh, they started to manufacture these uh, these brand new bicycles and. So, so if you think about it, the first Dodge Brother vehicle was actually a bicycle. Yeah, and the uh, first Dodge company was the Evans and Dodge Bicycle Company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So and they're based out of Windsor, Ontario, mm-hmm. which was right across the uh, the river from uh, Detroit. And that bicycle was manufactured in a building that they leased from their former employer, that uh, that Canadian company, um, over in Windsor. So um, I don't know. It's a profitable. Venture, I guess. I mean, they made a lot of money off of this bicycle design and this bicycle manufacture, enough so that they could open their own machine shop, which was the goal all along. Right, yeah. And they quickly gained a reputation for being just top-notch manufacturers. Uh, they started with just 12 employees. Their business was off and running, you know, and, and expanding, as you say. This is 1901. Right, yes. And uh, so... The Dodge uh, machine shop was supplying another character. There are going to be a lot of cameos in this story, yeah. folks. And our first cameo is Ransom E. Olds, who erected the first auto plant in Detroit in 1899. And as you said, in 1901, they're supplying this guy with engines. Now, Ransom E. Olds, and this is the guy that actually invented the assembly line. Now, remember, Henry Ford gets yep. all the credit for this, mm-hmm. but... Henry Ford is the one who perfected the assembly line production. Now, now Ransom Olds is the guy who invented this whole idea. And, uh, again, he's creating something called the, um, how was it, was it called? The, uh, Curve Dash Oldsmobile at the time, right? Now that's right. his, that's his first automobile, 1901. He comes to the Dodge Brothers because they have this outstanding reputation for quality and, uh, and for, uh, you know, as, as, near perfect machining as you could get at the time in 1901 you got to remember when this is right, right. So, so these guys are uh you know the, the top of their game right now they're they're doing the best work in town and ransom e olds comes to him and says i want you to build the transmissions for my car which is by the way selling like hotcakes if you use paper you're a human but if you choose paper you're a papertarian someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. 
Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Yes, and uh, this makes the Dodge Brothers one of the largest part suppliers in Detroit's auto industry. Right, and so word gets around town that, you know, these guys are, are the best, right? Mm-hmm. You know, everybody should go to them. So guess who catches wind of this story? Our number one favorite mad genius of all things automotive, Henry Ford himself. Yeah, that's right. In 1903, they agree officially to supply Henry Ford with 650 chassis. So this is this counts the transmission, the axles, the engine, uh, for 250 bucks each. Yeah, and see, the thing is that they had met with him. You know, Ford approached him, and, and think about this. Ford, around that time... He would have been like 39, maybe 40 years old at yeah, the time. he's in his prime. He's also had a couple of failed companies at this time. Oh, right? yeah, that's Remember, because the Ford Motor Company doesn't exist yet. There's there's no Ford Motor Company when he approaches them. And the Dodge Brothers see his design. They see, you know, the car, the engine, and they're intrigued by it. They think that, you know, there's there's something to this, that, you know, it's better than what they've seen so far. And so they're so impressed with this that they decide that they're going to risk their own business, you know, the Dodge Brothers business at this time, to have a contract with him, as you mentioned, Ben, for, you know, these uh, these chassis, right? Yeah, at this point, their company, the Dodge company, rather, had expanded to about 150 people. Yeah, and so the, the, the stipulation that's put in this contract with them is that Dodge would receive all of Ford's assets if Ford went bankrupt, which he had with his other companies. Uh, twice. Yeah, twice. So here's the thing, you know, they're, they're in a pretty good position. They, they, they either... You know, sort of inherit all this stuff. I mean, they're taking a risk, of course. You know, they're loaning him some money. They're loaning him some, you know, I guess, uh, properties, right? Right. And the dollar amounts that these uh, these come out to is that they're giving him $7,000 worth of automobile parts and $3,000 in cash uh, that, he, that he needed, you know, just to get this Ford Motor Company going, which they had right. never heard of before, right? Uh-huh. And wouldn't know if it was going to, you know, succeed or not. Um the total amount is $10,000, and for this $10,000, he gives them a 10% stake in Ford Motor Company when it isn't really Ford Motor Company yet, and I think that was like 50 shares of the company. That's what that amounted to. So, so uh, again, $10,000, a 10% stake in Ford Motor Company when it's brand new. Now, I've done a uh, an inflation calculator. Oh, here, wonderful. And I've got a few of these as we go along, if you'd like. Okay, yes. All right, so... Um, you know, the amount that they gave to Henry Ford in exchange for, again, this 10%, you know, stake in Ford Motor Company, $10,000 in 1903 is equal to 
$258,063 in 2014. So it's a sizable amount of money, but if yeah. somebody's starting up an automobile company, that's not a lot of money. That's uh, not enough to, I don't know, that's not really enough to do it. Uh, no, I don't think so. But, you know, his idea was enough that, you know, they, they said, we really believe in you. We know you can get things going. You're you're a man of your word that you do start these companies up and, you know, you do produce at least a few vehicles and we'll see how it goes, right? Because they really believed in this design, this, uh, this I guess it was the Model A design. You know, yeah. I'm not talking the Model A that came out later in the 19, you know, late 20s, early mm-hmm. 30s. This is the Model A, the very first Ford production car. Now, I'm going to go ahead and if you, if you're okay with this, I'm going to peek behind the curtain of the official story a little bit for our listeners, Scott. Okay. Uh, Henry Ford and the Dodge brothers did not get along. No. Uh, they butted heads all the time and it's not really a surprise because, uh, Henry Ford, now earlier I said, he was in his prime, you know, he's 39, 40. I mean, he's in his physical and mental prime. I mean, clearly financially he was having difficulties, but as he aged, he just did stranger and stranger things um, because that's the nature of genius, right? He was already uh, not suffering disagreement, and so are the Dodge brothers, especially when, you know, they're the ones helping him. Uh, so he's he's complaining all the time. He's saying, you know, hey, Horace, hey, John, uh your employees are turning out substandard stuff, and it's garbage because they're paid by the piece. Uh, but you know what, Ben? This is important to note, too. Now, now, think about this. All right. All right, so Henry Ford's, his name is on the company. That's true. It's the Ford Motor Company. Right. Now, he's got the Dodge Brothers building, and this is this may be a surprise to our listeners, too. The Dodge Brothers are building every single part of the new Ford car except for the uh, the wooden wooden seats which are made of buckboard, you know the buckboard seats. Right, right. And the rubber tires. Mm-hmm. And that's it. They're building every other single piece. They're 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 completely manufacturing this car for Ford. So Ford, you know, he's going to poke his nose into a lot of stuff and say, "I think you should be doing it this way. I think you should be doing, you know, this instead of that." I mean, that makes sense. It's I, just the way that I've seen it depicted is that he was not happy ever but continually ordering more vehicles he was a problem client he's a problem client that's the perfect yeah. way to say I, it Scott. i guess i guess but he's you know he still has the um you know the controlling share of the company right you know, he's got what 51 percent, i think at this point mm-hmm. or if not more because you know the dodge brothers had 10 percent, and then there were other uh what they call minor minority shareholders which have you know little bits of of stock in the company right but not enough to control the board i guess and so eventually i mean let me not, I guess, overstate it. It's true that they butted heads a lot, but they both knew it was a good business relationship because despite his complaints, he continued ordering engines. And uh, by the spring of 05, 1905, when he moved into a new plant, uh, they were still supplying his rigs. So that would be the engines and transmissions. And they were always, they were his major supplier for a while. But we know that uh, even though by 1905, Ford was trying to produce his own engines and transmissions for the Model N, uh, <clears throat> we know that their fates were intertwined. That's the way I read this phrase before. Fates were intertwined for the next 15 years. Ah, uh, yes. And we're going gonna... to. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. 
It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Promise we'll get to it. Can I back up just oh, for yeah. one second here, yeah. as we'll do often, I think, in this podcast? Uh-huh. Um, I want to point out the, the first Ford and who bought it, because I think that's pretty interesting. Oh, that's such a good if, story, if, yeah. That's okay. I yeah. mean, just is a, a doctor. His name is E. Fenning. Mm-hmm. And he was a, a Chicago dentist who bought the very first Model A Ford for $850. Now, that was $850 in 1903. Here we go. Uh, the uh, the inflation calculator tells me that that is equal to $21,935.36 in 2014. So, you know, average price car, I guess. I mean, a little low for what we have now, but, you know, we've got that crazy inflation going on. It makes sense, though, that a doctor would buy it if you think about house calls. It really does, you know, and and also, you know, kind of he's got the money to spend. Right. Probably yeah. even then, doctors were wealthy, right? <laughs> Likely, I mean, in Chicago, I would think, you know, big, you know, big town doctor versus you know, like a country doctor. Yeah, right? I wonder if he had student loans, though. I mean, was I, that a thing back then? I, I guess so. I mean, you know, Chicago <laughs> dentist. I, I don't know. I bet he was making a lot of money. At the mm-hmm. time. So, anyways, at the time of the sale, this is kind of important, I think. Or yeah. You know, interesting, if nothing else. Ford had $233.65 left in his bank account when he finally made that first sale. So when Dr. E. Fenning bought the very first Ford, he's down to the last $200 in his account. You know, Henry Ford is. So he's really hoping that this takes off right now because it's now or never. And they say right from the time of that very first sale, all the money 
was just coming in. There was no more money going out. You know, at least there was more money coming in than there was going out. Yeah, we're we're way. back in back in the black. Exactly right? right. And so you know the direction is only you know the money flow is only going up from this point. So the Dodge brothers now remember they gave him ten thousand dollars. Remember the, the yep. seven thousand dollars worth of parts, three thousand in cash, three thousand cash. That very first year, they received. $10,000 in stock dividends, which is, you know, the payoff to investors based on the amount of money the company earns, et cetera. You know, right. you look that up if you want. But the Ford stock eventually would pay out millions more to them over the next, what do you say, 15 years then? Yeah. Uh, through about 1914, they collected $3.8 million in dividends, and that's million, that's almost $4 million in 1914, you guys. Uh, then they got another almost two million, one point seven million in profits from the Ford contracts. Um, at the same time, around let's see, uh, August nineteen fourteen, uh, John Dodge resigned as director and vice president of the Ford Motor Company because mm. he had been working with them. Yeah, um, but they retained that stock uh, that they've had since nineteen oh three. Um, now, see, this is important because yeah. they were profiting in two different ways, right? Right. So they had the Ford stock, which, you know, again, paid out millions and millions, right? In dividends, but the, yeah. But the, but the Dodge brothers actually profited a second time by selling the parts, by selling Ford the parts. So they're selling Ford the parts for the cars that they manufacture. Right. And then they hold stock in the company, and they're also profiting on that. So this is a very, very shrewd move on the, on the part of the Dodge brothers. I mean, you're making money at both ends, but they're still tied to an outsider, an outside company, an outside person, not ideal. That's right. But, you know, Henry Ford was working on his own project, right? And yeah. his project was the River Rouge plan. And the River Rouge plan is still around. It's still operational. And, uh, you know, there's some fantastic photos of that from, you know, back in the time when Henry Ford was still running the place when it was brand new. You know, there's there's some uh, some great photos of it now, don't get me wrong. But uh, back then, some of the classic photos are, are really, really cool. Yeah. River Rouge is a huge complex. So anyways, the, uh, this, this River Rouge complex is finally complete and Ford realizes that, you know, Dodge is really, I mean, in a way, he's, they're no longer needed, right? Because they have that small machine shop that they've been working out of, or relatively small anyways. And, um, <laughs> Dodge, they, he wants to lease out the, the Dodge machine shop and still use it. Yeah. But the Dodge brothers don't want to do that. They don't want to lease the space, uh, to Henry Ford. They want to hang on to it. So, the Dodge brothers decide that they're going to create their own product that will compete with the Henry Ford product. Now, this is uh, this is remarkable, right? So they're yeah. building; they're already building the Model T, right? Mm-hmm. And they're uh, they're they're making all these parts and just about the whole vehicle, really. So they know all the ins and outs of this, literally. Yeah, including the weaknesses, and that's key here because they know the weaknesses of the Model T. And what they do is they set out to build their own car that fixes all of those weaknesses. So it has everything that the Model T has, but it's also, you know, um, making changes that were necessary all along the way that Henry Ford, you know, had been notified of. And he said, no, I don't want to change it in any way. Mm-hmm. Because remember all those stories we, we, we told you about Henry Ford early on, you know, in our Henry Ford podcast, right. that he was very resistant to change. If something was working, he would never alter, he would never update anything. Don't complicate things. Don't. Okay, just for an example, because I know that it might sound like I'm, Beating up Henry Ford and calling him crazy. Uh, he tore a car apart with his bare hands. And just that, want to point that out. And that was because they had decided to change his vehicle. And yeah. He, he didn't, uh, he didn't like the idea that they had done that without him. So, so the Dodge brothers got off kind of easy if you think about it. Because he just said no. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. He did just say no. And he, but you know, he was fuming. You know, oh, he was oh, yeah, angry. Sure. Very angry. He had a temper. And, um, so they, they, 
Wait, so the Dodge car, which they're going to build in their own factory, would include all the improvements that they had talked to Henry Ford about, but Henry didn't want to make those changes, remember? So, you know, Henry's got this, uh, I guess at this point, an inferior product, really. Right. If you want to look at it that way, really. Well, they wanted to sell it almost to a different market. Yeah, and, you know, I hate to say an inferior product, because we're talking about the Model T. Yeah. It's an icon. You really, it's hard to say that about it. But remember, the Dodge brothers were building it, and now they're improving on it with their own design. So, again, they're I, they're taking it they're taking it a step up. I think you know if we were if we were to call the uh, Model T, this is a horrible comparison, but if we were to call the Model T the equivalent of fast food, the idea being that it's easy to replicate and it's easy to expand and it's everywhere, like McDonald's, mm-hmm. then what the Dodge Brothers were trying to do was build something that's a little bit more like a sit-down restaurant. Okay, I see what you're saying. So they uh, they improved upon the design, and they're they're going to make just slightly more of it. It's more of an upscale version, right? Right. It's so this is also that it does not directly compete because that would be bad for their business. Well, it does directly compete, though, because it goes into the same market and – People know that the Dodge Brothers have been building that Model T and that, you know, these guys who are known for their quality, known for their machining work, known for their uh, their expertise in this area are now building their own product. I think that a lot of people are swayed by that to say, why not go right to the source? These guys are the ones that are responsible for the, for the quality behind the Model T. Right. I'm going to go and I'm going to go try out their product and see what that's like. Well, that's true because they were competing in that they already had such a great reputation but the vehicle that they were creating was going to be more expensive than the Model T. Ah, uh, yeah, but that's not by, what I'm saying. Uh, you, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Not by much. Like not, a hundred dollars more. Which, uh, which, uh, in okay, a hundred dollars more in. Uh, I've done the uh, calculation. Oh, great. Okay. So just one hundred dollars more in 1914 is the equivalent in 2014 to about two thousand three hundred and thirty dollars more. Which is really that's not a whole lot, I guess. I, mean, I guess you're right. Yeah. It's kind of a, it's it's an upsell. It's not a lot. I mean, it's still competition, but you know, again, it is an upsell. So you're you're saying I've got a product that's similar. It's it costs more. Are you willing to take a risk on this? And most people, in fact, say, you know what? Because it's the Dodge Brothers. I am Scott. Before anyone even saw the new vehicle. 13,000 dealers asked to become Dodge agents. 13,000. Now, we're talking about the, uh, the the 1914 Dodge Model 30. That was the very first Dodge that they produced. It was a four-cylinder, uh, again, kind of an upscale version of the Model T, I guess, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. And it had a couple of unique features that other vehicles at the time didn't have. Now, some of these they did, some of they didn't. But it did have an all-seal body. And that was unusual because most people were still using uh, wood at the time, right? Right. A lot of wood panels. It had a 12-volt electrical system, which, again, most were using 6-volt at the time. It had a 35-horsepower four-cylinder engine, as I mentioned, that, uh, again, 35-horsepower doesn't sound like a whole lot, but you got to remember that the Model T had just 20 horsepower at the time. So this is a significant upsell from that, I guess. Um, and the other thing is that it had a sliding gear transmission, which, you know, the, you know, the Model T... Um, they used the older planetary gear design all the way through the end of the Model T production, which was in 1927. So right. in 1914, Dodge had already advanced to the point where they're using this sliding gear transmission. And again, Henry Ford held on to that, uh, you know, that planetary gear design for another uh, 13 years beyond yeah. that. I mean, he, he just did not, he resisted change. He did not want to change. Well, I can see where he's coming from, though, because why fix it if it ain't broke? That's true. And you know what? And he did very, 
very well for himself. I mean, yeah. I mean, extremely well for himself. And we're we're not trying to disparage the Model T in any way, or, nor Henry Ford. It's just that you know this is part of his character, and it shows in everything that he does. And he uh, he's still around when all this other stuff is happening, most of it. And uh, let's go ahead and talk about the huge expansion that they experience. Huge expansion. Yeah, so 1914, uh, they don't actually end up making that many cars. Uh, they make a smaller number of cars for that first year. Mm-hmm. But uh, just to jump ahead a little bit, by April 1915, their workforce increased to 7,000 people, Scott, and... By the end of that year, their firm produced over 45,000 cars at their uh, Hamtramck plant. That is incredible. So in Hamtramck, they're building 45,000 cars in 1915, and they've got 7,000 employees cranking away on this probably 24 hours a day, if I had to guess. Yeah. Unbelievable, because they started in that little bicycle shop with, what, 7 or 12 12, employees? Yeah. 12 employees. Here they are, and this isn't that much longer. This is 1915. When did they start the bicycle shop? That was um, in the 1890s, right? Yeah, yeah. 18, or 1901, I guess, when they first had their machine shop. Okay, yes. So, so 1901, so 14 years later, they're up to 7,000 employees. That's incredible. Which doesn't usually happen That's, in any business. That is amazing. All right, so, Ben, I think we're at a point here where I'm going to have to say we're going to have to cut for the day. Ah. And, uh, but that's by no means the end of the story because we're going to pick up with 1916, and there's a major twist in the whole thing here, in the whole story mm-hmm. uh, that happens in 1916. And it makes a big impact on the entire rest of the story. So I think this is a, a solid point to stop at here, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's go ahead and make this a two-parter. Guys, thanks for listening to the origin of the Dodge story. Please stay tuned for the sequel, The Dodgening. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we're just going to call it number two or part two. That's probably a safer bet. All right, and we're going to go ahead and get to work on that. Uh, find us on Facebook. You can drop us a line on Twitter. You can send us an email directly. We are carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fairs. Discover more at Viking.com. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.